1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter... At Play Like a Jet 1, we're going to talk to Joe Blewett again to go through the rest of the prospects as we get ready for the NFL Draft later tonight. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe it. We are this close to the NFL Draft, so last check of all these prospects that we haven't reviewed yet. Joe Blewett went through their film. We heard from him about some of the prospects yesterday. We'll get to the rest of them today, starting with the offensive line. But before that, there is some news, including some practice activities over at Florham Park and so forth. For that, we bring in our man on the scene who is the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, what's
0: going on, man? I'm much trying to breathe without taking in all this smoke, all all the smoke flying around everywhere. I'm trying not to choke on it. Oh,
1: my goodness. So much smoke, and we will get to that in a bit. But before we do, why don't you talk about what happened at Florham Park today?
0: Well... It was, you know, a lot similar to yesterday, which is to say, not too much. Um, it was the same same deal where they brought out the offense to work, and they did a lot of light works. You, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, some passing plays and this and that. But they were going up against anybody, and then the special teams came on work by themselves, and the defense came on work by themselves, and it wasn't really, you know, it was light drills that they, there it, it really wasn't much to talk about. The w- the one thing is I during the offensive portion, the offensive line was set off was set off to the side, and I just sitting there uh, listening to Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach. I could hear him chirping and going through, and I was just like, you know what? I, there's nothing going on over here. Let me go watch these guys do this. And they were working on combo blocking drills and you know technique and fundamentals on all this stuff. And I'm not allowed to report, you know. Exactly, things that are said from on the field between coaches and players, but I, they, I sat there and I just intently just sat there and watched and listened to to see you know what it is frank pollock's looking for in his offensive line what he wants his players to do technique wise fundamental wise what type of you know try to gauge a little bit about his philosophy of the offensive line so i sat there for a good 30 40 minutes just watching that listening to him sit there and you know tell people uh, the players exactly how he wants them to do it how he wants them to go through these motions and then uh you know, later on during mini camp and training camp, I'll talk to some of the offensive linemen, and, and then I'll work with about, you know, about Frank Pollack what he's doing there, and then I'll try to sneak some of the stuff I heard today in. And blend it in with the player quotes so that they it will be acceptable, and I won't get in trouble for saying that. If it, I can finagle it, and finesse ways different like like that. Now they haven't opened up the locker room to us yet. They just bring out players for us to talk to uh, in the press room. So I haven't been able to get anyone on ones yet. So I'm going to wait for that to do that. But there was a lot of good stuff, and it was really interesting to sit there and to you know that, for short practice. I was. 10 feet away from it the whole time so i heard every single word so to be able to get a little bit of a glimpse a little bit of what frank pollock is looking for how he wants to run the offensive line i will say it it, it, this it was impressive he he's you know obviously he's a highly regarded coach he's uh had a lot of success in this league so it shouldn't be surprising but he definitely had uh you know it was impressive to hear what he was saying. The players were listening to him. The players were taking what he was giving them and going with it and he seemed pleased. The players seemed pleased it was It was definitely interesting.
1: Definitely something that Jets fans will be excited about because the offensive line is not expected to be one of the strengths of this team, but what a lot of people were pointing to was Frank Pollock's record and thinking that he might be able to do something with some of the guys that have underachieved a little bit or need development. So the fact that you were able to get that much out of what Pollock was saying means that these guys that are professional offensive linemen, you would think, probably got quite a bit out of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was just telling you uh, before we started this that, you know, one of the things I'm going to be looking to do uh, when uh, training camp starts, specifically talk to Brian Winters, because this is his fifth offensive coordinator since he's been here. Um, You know, how many different offensive line coaches he's had to work with. And I'm always fascinated by having that many different coaches, especially with something like on the offensive line, different techniques that the coaches want you to do. is just how many times he had a new coach who basically was telling them stuff that was completely different than his last coach and uh, how to try to keep that straight in his head. So once training camp comes around or at least mini camp, I might be able to get that done. I'll definitely have uh, a nice story on that. It's just, you know, little things like that, that can take you into a, You know, a little bit inside look at some of the ins and outs that fans don't really think about. And no one should blame the fans for not thinking about it. But it's, you know, a little bit of the how the sausage gets made type thing. And there's so much more to all this stuff than people really think.
2: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax and get decent sleep.
1: Certainly a good way to take the coaches' minds off of what's going to be going on later tonight, which is the NFL draft, the number three overall pick. So much buzz going around right now. There's all kinds of chatter about what the Jets might do if they stay at number three. There's chatter about some moves that could happen in terms of trades. So let's get into that, Chris. The first thing is Mike Freeman from Bleacher Report reporting this and a couple of others have said the same thing, that the San Francisco 49ers love Quinn and Williams and thus would pick him at number two, leaving Nick Bosa for the Jets. I will say again, as I always say, but I just want to throw this out there so that for anybody that hasn't heard me say it before, you can hear me say it. Now, I believe absolutely nothing. These rumors are fun, but nobody really knows. These teams are not going to be leaking things without a purpose. So it's possible that they do love Quentin Williams, and it's possible that they will take him ahead of Nick Bosa, but we certainly don't know that for a fact. The other thing is... There's all kinds of rumors about possible trading partners. We've heard even the Raiders maybe wanting to flip up a spot to keep somebody from taking Dwayne Haskins. We've heard that the Redskins might be trying to get involved, although Manish Mehta of the Daily News says that there's a growing sense among the Jets that they're not going to get a deal done because the Redskins are not going to be willing to give up what the Jets would require for them to move all the way down from 3 to 15, but... We do know that according to reports, Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, has taken over the draft room, which is exactly why he is the worst owner in all of professional football, because that's why you hire these guys who do this for a living and understand this to a much greater degree than you ever could. But Daniel Snyder has yet to learn that lesson for some reason. So he's going to take over the draft room. And that means that anything could happen because he's out of his mind and he could possibly make a really stupid trade. So I'm sure a lot of Jets fans are sitting there licking their chops saying, ooh, this is good news because the Redskins might make some sort of crazy move for number three. Although, like I said, Manish is reporting that some within the Jets believe that they're not going to get a deal done. So, Chris, let's try and clear up as much of this smoke as we can what are you hearing about this whole situation?
0: Yeah, well, let's start with this. There's there's so much smoke about, you know, even the first pick with Kyler Murray and Clinton Williams and the to who wants to trade up, do the Giants want to trade up, do the Raiders want to trade up, Washington trading up. Uh, basically, p- pick an outcome. Pick any order, pick any outcome you want, and I can tell you that I've heard that that's what will happen from somebody. <laughs> like every – so most people still think kyler murray is going number 1 there is a lot of growing sentiments a little more it seems day by day that arizona won't go with him but it still seems that most people think he will it feels like he probably will um, you know but one the one thing i'll say here is there is a growing sentiment it seems to be more and more that most teams have Quinn and Williams as the number one player on their board. Uh, that seems to be a real. And as people aren't, uh, what I'm hearing with that isn't related to where they're drafting. It's just it seems to be more and more people are confirming that and coming around to that. Also, as much as we talk about the smoke with Daniel Snyder, I don't think this is smoke, man. This is, A, it's, Fits perfectly. It's exactly what you would expect of Daniel Snyder. It's what we've been talking about all off-season long. That is one team you could see doing something completely reckless, like tra- trading up, giving up a first-round pick and a whole bunch of other picks next year. That is certainly, you know, within his character, what you would expect from him. And also the reports from there—they seem to be pretty solid. It does—it's—it's it's not hard to believe that that's the case now. I've heard pretty much the opposite of what Manish has heard there. A couple of days ago, the McKagan and the Jets were feeling like, all right, we're probably going to be stuck at three. We're probably not going to get, you know, somebody to give us enough to make the trade down. There, there was, you know, some hope that maybe they could do something like flip with the Raiders. But that, that seemed to be what they were thinking was the only real possibility. And now they're thinking that, that it's becoming more and more a possibility. Not necessarily with the Raiders, I mean with Washington being the trade, but there seems to be a growing sentiment that they will be able to trade out of that pick. And I tweeted about this earlier. There's so much smoke going on, but right now, who knows what team, what quarterbacks, what team's willing to trade up and how far and how much they're willing to trade up but it doesn't really matter there's so much smoke going on right now and that you know is or is the giants going to be scared that washington might jump them would is, so would they do they really want either haskins or daniel jones and do they feel the need that they might have in order to get them that they would jump up to try to get them and then you can think okay well maybe washington just wants to trade up and jump the giants and just get to 5 But then there's this wild card of the Raiders where nobody has any idea what to make of what's going on with the Raiders now. I hear more and more that they might be considering quarterback, even though we've been hearing that they're not going to. I don't know know, what to make of it there. But all this smoke can be enough. We've seen it over the years. It can be enough to scare teams and to coax them. To be like, no, I want Dwayne Haskins, so I'm gonna trade up to get them. If teams are in love with Dwayne Haskins, a lot of they're not gonna be content to miss out on him, so they might be willing to do that. Now, it's a question if they're really in love with him or if they just like him, because there's a difference in being saying, you know, hey, I would I would draft this guy at 15 or I would draft this guy at six and saying okay I'm going to package a bunch of picks to move up and get that guy that that's a big difference so there's a lot going on right now but I would say that there's it's all uh, there's something here in, in the smoke there there's a little bit of fire somewhere that doesn't mean that'll get done because you know the price has to be right for both sides but there the chances that the jets will be able to trade out of this
3: Tune in or wherever you get your podcasts. This is
0: the overtime podcast network.
1: I should note that Diana Rossini from ESPN is saying it's clear. There are many in the Redskins organization on the coaching staff and scouting staff who do not want to take a quarterback in the first round, but this decision is not up to them. So while leaks will continue, nothing is likely to change unless someone can change the owner's mind. Again, again, This is a perfect example of why Daniel Snyder is a complete buffoon. And for what anybody wants to say about what Woody Johnson has done as owner of the Jets, I've said this many times, be very glad that it's not Daniel Snyder. I'm not going to get into this now, but I don't think Woody Johnson's anywhere near as bad of an owner as a lot of people make him out to be. So, man, that is just absolutely incredible that a guy who doesn't really know anything about football is going to try to override all the people that he hired to make the important football decisions. We'll see how that pans out. I will say, Chris, it's really interesting to me that according to all these reports, so many of these teams think Quentin Williams is the best player in the draft. I mean, who would possibly agree with that?
0: I don't know. I, I haven't heard that take anywhere before. I can't imagine that it would be dumb enough to say <laughs> something like that.
1: I would imagine, that we're going to find out just hours from now, what's going to happen, but if Quinn and Williams does go number two, man, you would have to bowl over Mike McCagney to get him to not take Nick Bosa, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, if, I think both of them, either way, honestly that uh, you know, the, I know the Jets love Quinn and Williams. And also just to add to this, I know, uh, Connor Hughes has reported this, but you know, that Oliver stuff that we heard over the last couple of days, that was definitely smoke. Uh, they, uh, what Connor said is that the, uh, the, they, they heard that the Raiders love him. So they're trying to mm-hmm. get that around. Uh, so, you know, he reported that that's, that's checks out. It makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, the, I know that the Jets do love Quinn and Williams. I know that they love Nick Bosa. I don't know which one they love more, so I don't know which one he would be hoping for to, to be there at three if they go. but either way, if one of those guy it's unless Kyler Murray doesn't go first, one of those guys is gonna be available for him. and you know we talked about this you know a few days ago a couple a week ago or whatever where uh, the possibility of interest. McCagnin- uh what was ralph vagu had that uh report about how he's desperate to trade out and he might be willing to settle for just a second and if if bosa or quinn and williams are on board there he's not going to settle for just a second i can't imagine that you know maybe if if he did a flip with the raiders he could do with just a second but he's not trading down to six or to 15 with Washington, obviously not there. That's, that's the other thing. If he does pull a trade off with Washington, that's going to be relying on Washington giving up a first rounder next year, plus a whole bunch more, you know, a second this year, maybe a third or a fourth, a couple other things. So there's a, there's a lot there, but, it, you know, it's going to take a lot for him to pass up on Quinn and Williams or Nick Bosa. They're, they're, they're a good fit, and they're that much better than – the rest of the you know the rest of this draft class and I don't think they're going to be willing to part with one of those guys so easily
1: as it should be Chris I've said this many times and I will repeat it one last time on the podcast before the draft actually happens barring some sort of crazy offer like you just described if Nick Bosa or Quinn Williams is on the board and if Murray goes first one of them will be you're sitting there with a guy that's a blue chip prospect This is a fairly common opinion, so it's not just me saying this. Those two guys are your blue chip prospects. I like Josh Allen a lot, but he's got flaws that need to be fixed. There are other players in this draft that are good, but they've got flaws that need to be fixed. Quinn and Williams and Nick Bosa are well ahead of everybody else. If you have the opportunity to pick one of them, unless somebody bowls you over, stay there, take the player, whether it's Bosa or Williams, and say thank you, football gods, and go about your day. Because as much as everybody wants the Jets to get all these extra picks and it's nice when you have a stud sitting right there for you at number three a guy that let's be honest we didn't expect to be there until all of this kyler murray stuff started coming out take him and be grateful And that's what I hope the Jets do, barring some sort of crazy trade offer. But we are going to find out just hours from now, Chris, and we will have coverage right after the first round is over. We're going to record and we will post it up. So it'll be up if you're up late and you can't sleep. You have this nervous energy because you want to hear some draft talk and you want to hear the analysis and you want to hear all the news that's going on behind the scenes because Chris will have some nuggets from his sources on what the process boiled down to, I'm sure. We will have that for you when the first round ends, and if you're somebody that's commuting super early to work, it'll be there for you as well. So we're going to post that up probably sometime after midnight because the first round, I would guess, is going to end around eleven, eleven thirty. so we'll have it posted right after midnight and it'll be there for you if you're looking for draft talk right after the draft is over or really early in the morning when you commute to work chris thanks so much for coming on really looking forward to recording with you just hours from now after the first round wraps up for anybody that wants to follow you on twitter get your live reactions or read your big deal work where can they go ahead and do that
0: my very big deal work get oh, excuse it right. me hold on
1: or read your very big deal work <laughs>
0: there you go that's much better yeah much much better yeah you can find me uh your, our article is up at jets you can find me on twitter at c nimbly and at jetsinsider. insider we'll have plenty of plenty of stuff on this draft so i'm excited for this process to be over and us to actually start talking about the players that they did pick and what they can bring to the team.
3: Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint
0: Chris,
1: this is going to be the end of what seems like a forever process, and I'm looking forward to talking to you about it as soon as the first round wraps up. But if we're going to be watching the first round, we should talk about some of these prospects that the Jets could get if they trade down or that may even be there later on in the draft because we talked about Ja'Kai Polite yesterday. So we bring in the host of Turn on the Jets Film Room over at Turn on the Jets TV on YouTube, Joe Blewett, as we move over to the offensive line. Because it's an obvious need for the Jets They can probably get by with What they have for one season if They have to but obviously some Improvements are in order not only For 2019 but certainly For the long haul and there are three guys On this list that you took a look at That could be potential targets if The Jets trade down a little bit Juwan Taylor the offensive tackle from Mm -hmm. Florida Jonah Williams the offensive Tackle from Alabama and of course There's whispers that he may switch to Center guard in the NFL we'll see what happens with that and the last one is Garrett Bradbury the center from NC State tell me about those three
4: yeah so just so I get this out of the way in terms of my board I have Taylor at four I have Bradbury at five which I think is probably higher than we're going to see on any other board um, but I'll get into him and why I think he's such a good player I just finished putting him up actually yesterday and I have Jonah Williams you know at number nine so starting off with, with them you know in order. And Joran Taylor is weird start. I watched him such a long time ago. Um, but he's a guy who he has such a high physical upside that if he works on his technique, which I said to you a while ago, too, I think it's big on where he goes because if he works on his technique, he could be an elite uh, right tackle in, in this league. And some people are, you know, saying, oh, well, left tackle versus right tackle. You know, left tackle is so much more important. If you really think about that, other than the narrative that you heard, that can you sit down and tell me why left tackle is so much more important than right tackle, you know? Um, which the common belief was okay, well, you know, the best rush pass rushers rush off of the left tackle, you know, on the right side of the defense, which is was true. Um, but if you look at like a snap snap basis, guys like Khalil Mack and Von Miller rush more off the right tackle. So, you know, is it important to have a good right tackle too? Yeah, I think they're pretty much even. I think the only advantage that left tackle has over right tackle in terms of being, you know, more of an important position is you're protecting the blind side more, which is that that's it. But, um, it's not. It's not like that big of a difference. Where right tackles do not matter. Right tackles are a very, very important position as well. So I think he has the ability to be uh, a very, very high end guy. Look at the size he has. Um, his hand strength and grip is is absurd. Where if he gets his hands on you and tight, you were not going anywhere. Uh, versus anybody, I did not see anybody break his hands. Um, when he gets his hands on you, like I said, you're, you're done. Um, super smooth athlete. He has. A, I think he has a quick. Ah, uh, pass set where that where that first you know set of his of it, whether it be his, his kick step or his kick slide or his drive catch is really really fast. He covers a lot of ground with that. You're rarely going to see guys beat him outside, even though he's like 330 pounds. Which, like I said, that combination of size and athleticism plus strength is is really really good. Um, keeps his hips square. his nice fluid hips. He has good recognition of stunts and twists. Um, And I think through contact, he's able to slide his hips into proper position because he has those loose loose hips. Uh, Good movement to the second level. His footwork is solid. He's pretty patient. He he gets low for his size, good flexibility, super competitive um, as well, which you definitely like to see. He does not give up on any, any play. Uh, so I think he has a really, really high ceiling. Um, but when you look at the weaknesses, which he has to, he has to work on these to be a good player. Um, you're going to consistently see his hand shoot from his hips and low and come out wide. And we just talked about that before, Scott. And, and you know, before we recorded, even while we recording, we we're talking about giving up the chest is a big, big thing. And when you're shooting from the, from the hips and slow and wide, you're giving up your hips because you're shooting wide, and you're predict you're predictable because your your hands are coming from from uh, your hips and they're slow. So he needs to be more aggressive with his hands. He needs to shoot from tighter, uh, get his hands into the chest or the shoulder pads, um, shoot his hands out, you know, more towards you know from his pecs out instead of from his waist out and low. So there's that. I think he he plays you know on his toes a little bit too much and pass at the times um, where you see him get beat inside because he's playing he's he plays so hard to get outside. That he lets uh, inside gaps um, become you know an option for for rushers. So I see a little bit more contain in him play inside out more. I think he plays a little bit too much uh, outside in, but you could fix that. So it's a lot of technique stuff. But if you're talking about you know the ceiling and why I have him so high, like I said, is my number four um, you know overall player. It's just the combination of the ability the loose hips, uh, the aggressiveness, and that hand strength. Like I said, is is pretty ridiculous for a guy who's you know, 330 pounds or whatever he is. I know he's right around there to be able to move as well as he is or as he does as a right tackle is super intriguing. So um, that is why he's, you know, so, uh, so high on, at least on my board. Now looking at the next player and Bradbury who, you know, people have him anywhere. I would say like the general consensus is like anywhere from like 10 to to the 20 type range. Um, I have him as high as five because if you put him in the right scheme and it is scheme dependent, you can't just pick, you know, a and, and a lot of people this is why a lot of people have him lower because he's super scheme dependent but everybody's scheme dependent you know for the most part you're not going to play ed oliver in a three four um because he's not as good as combo uh, you know taking on combo blocks and he's not as you know big enough for that he's like strictly a, f- a four three defensive tackle defensive end in my mind now you know you could play him a three four because he does have some position of versatility but you don't want him too gapping inside a lot so everybody has their own thing like josh Allen's not a four three end. You know, it's just everybody has their thing. So if you pick Bradbury, and you want him to play in a zone blocking scheme, you know, inside zone um, or outside zone, I would prefer outside zone because when you look at him, uh, you're see, you're going to see really good technique. You're going to see his run blocking uh, is a strength. The the one of the best things about him is he is elite in terms of quickness. So he's like three oh six, and I I don't think any of that three hundred six pounds. Is fat. like He's just a pure athlete where the burst he has off the ball and the ability to reach block and cut off block in a a uh, zone-blocking type scheme um, is absurd. And the movement he has to the second level uh, where he's really, really good at even just with his reach blocks, just positioning his hips. So even if he's losing initially, which sometimes he actually needs to gain ground a little bit more to get ground, which basically if there's a guy gapped away or trying to block, you want to give up some ground vertically. Uh, to gain that gap, where if you're just trying to cut him off, but you don't take as much uh, ground necessary vertically, he's he's just gonna run right past you. So I think he has learned that a little bit. Uh, but even in those situations, he gets his hands on you, and he works really, really hard to get his hips around. And because he's so fluid with those hips, and he's so fast, and he's such quick feet, he's able to do that quite frequently. But at the NFL level, obviously, you do need to improve those things because better players are going to make plays. You're not gonna be able to get your hips around. Uh, but you see the really fluid hips. You see elite speed uh, for for a center, an elite first step for a center, and I don't just throw around elite a lot. Um, so those are some really good things. You also see really, really good t- uh, timing on combo blocks, where you know he'll get on the combo block, he'll assist the postman on that combo block. he's either in the second level and at the very last second, he'll jump out to the to the backside linebacker, the Mike linebacker to block him, or even on the backside if if you know he's on the backside of a run. Uh, let's say if it's an inside zone to the left, and you know he's on the combo block on the one technique or the three technique with the uh, left guard. If there's a if there's a blitzing linebacker or safety late, he has such good recognition to 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 just push off of that three technique and block the um blitzer like i said whoever it may be at the last second so really really good awareness elite speed elite quickness um i think technically he's pretty refined there's some a couple things that i would like to see him you know improve on and there's some things that he really can't uh the the strength you know can he improve maybe a little bit uh arm length is not great his height weight combo is not great uh because of that height weight combo and, and the strength his anchor is not really great uh because of that length, you know, you see sometimes that he's he's gonna get caught in the chest because um, you know, he doesn't have the arm length to reach them first. Uh there's some technique work, but you know, for the most part it's pretty consistent. The technique you, you'd like to see a little bit less of the upper body body lean that he has where he's leaning a little bit too much um into his pass blocks, where you can see like a push pull, you know, beat him because he is off balance and even in the second level, or sometimes where he comes in a little bit too uncontrolled if he has like too big of a gap. Like Listen, tumble block—he's gonna get to you every time if there's a close ground. But if he's just pulling immediately to the to the second level or getting to the second level immediately, you see him sometimes like overrun himself because he's too fast. So a uh, little bit of technique work he needs. Um, but overall, I just I just think the the athleticism that he has plus the um, overall you know general technique—I I think he's pretty good. And he can work on a lot of things. He's just such an interesting athlete. Where he looks like he's a he's a tight end playing um, center. He's he's really that athletic. I, I would take him. I don't know what his forty time was or his like his ten yards per anything like that, but I'm gonna guess it was pretty damn high because he was super, super interesting. Um and now the next guy, uh being Jonah Williams, um, who is number nine on my board. He's a guy who kind of like Farrell started off really, really high um, on a lot of people's boards. I watched him and I remember this is the guy where I said like you know, hot takes. Like I don't have him as high as people who think he's a third overall pick and you know, we probably have texts from three months ago saying that. So I had this I had these um you know documents before you know people started to move him because I, I just did not think he was great. Um now I think he's good where you know I think he covers a lot of ground on his first step of his kick slide or drive catch. I think his hand placement most of the time is really, really good. He frames rushers well. He stays square. Um, he gets his hands on first. He's pretty quick out of his stance. He plays with a good balance. Um, he has good technique. He has good movement to the second level, fluid hips, aggressiveness, IQ um they built the ability to attack hips or the, the, not the ability but the smartness to attack hips on combo blocks because a lot of people on combo blocks they attack too high and it's easier for your upper body to absorb um you know that push than it is for your hips because you want to attack their base and their center of gravity which is the hips and the legs so if you can attack one thing you want to attack those not the upper body where if you have a flexible upper body you know and you're pushing me and i have a good base i can just absorb that with my upper body then you know, snap back, where if you're attacking my legs and you push my legs, I, I, you know, I can't anchor down versus that. So he has those, those smarts to do that. Um, he's good at assessing offensive guards, you know, good hip positioning, body positioning on backside blocks, seals or reaches, etc. cetera. Um, he also has a good stance that I'd like to see. But there's also some things where I saw, you know, from him, uh, especially in the run game where, you know, hearing about him, I thought his technique was going to be super, super clean, um, you know, throughout his, his game. But when I watch him in the run game, you see you see him playing high very, very, very frequently. You see even sometimes in past sets where he's playing a little bit high, where his body's upright, and he's not really leaning into blocks, you know, um, as, you know necessarily as, as far as he should be. Like, you don't want to lean too far, but you have to lean a little bit and get a good base so guys don't reach you first. So you see that sometimes in the past uh, game. You see some of the uh, kind of a little bit of like a frustrating, uncontrolled um, movement to the second level. You know, at times even though I say he's good at moving to the second level. because like say that speed sometimes is a little bit uncontrolled at times. Uh, you see the fact that he's not really able to drive defenders far. He doesn't have really great uh, strength. You see him ducking his head into blocks. You see him um in the run game. I'm talking about. You see the narrow base in the run game as well. You know, you see the bend at the waist. You see the inconsistent anchor. So he has definitely some technical flaws, especially in the run game, a little bit in the pass game. So. Uh that's why he's my number number nine overall fit and I think his best fit just like Bradbury, like I think he's more of a strictly type uh, zone type, you know, tackle. And I do see him. And I don't know if this is gonna be one of your questions, Scott. Um, which you haven't talked, it seems like in twenty minutes I've been talking about these guys, but <laughs> um I need like to breathe. <gasps> okay. Um <laughs> so you know, he's a guy. I don't see him as an interior guy because I talked about with the with the lack of ability to drive outside linebackers and even middle linebackers at times. I don't think he's necessarily a good fit inside because you know if you're if you're not successfully driving you know outside linebackers and even defensive ends, how do I expect you to drive guys and move guys into the interior? So I see what people are saying like, oh, he's so technically refined. Maybe he could do do it, but I don't. I just don't see the necessary strength. Um you know it's a play inside so a lot of people are saying okay we'll play him you know inside he'll be elite you know uh guard or center but he lacks he, he he lacks and it's not length i think his length the arms are actually like 33 and one fourth which isn't bad it could be a little bit higher than that but because of how he plays with his with his chest so upright um guys get into him first so and there is times even in the past game where he shoots a little bit wide typically it's it's inside so i'll give it a it's it's one of his plush traits, but it's not as consistent as you would like to see for somebody who is touted as being elite in terms of his technique. Um, but I just don't think he has the necessary power, you know, inside. So I, I would like to see him left tackle, right tackle, in, in his own scheme. This
1: is the Overtime Podcast Network. So you're not necessarily buying the idea that Jonah Williams could come in and automatically become a Pro Bowl center or a Pro Bowl guard.
4: Yeah, no. Nah, like I said, it's it's the it's. It's the lack of sh- of strength that's really um, you know hurting him there. I think he's aggressive, and you'll see him you know pancake you know uh, some outside linebackers or some uh, safeties. But that's more because of like foot drive and yeah you know a guy who's three hundred pounds, three hundred ten pounds, wherever he is, versus two hundred forty pound guys. is going to happen like, you know sometimes, but I just don't think he's consistently enough uh, driving guys and showing really powerful hands enough to handle. You know, guys like Mike Pennell or even Steve McClendon inside or even Leonard Williams. I just don't see him having necessary strength to be able to move guys um, really in the run game. And you compare, like, okay, well, Bradbury, well, Bradbury seems not very strong, but Bradbury, where compared to Jonah, Jonah's a, a technician. In terms of his pass blocking, and some some places in the run game, he's pretty good in terms of, like, combo blocks and picking up blocks and understanding that, moving to the second level, I think he's a little bit overrated. Um, but Bradbury has that elite athleticism in terms of, like, speed and, and first steps that Jonah doesn't have. So, Jonah, you know, technique is great, uh, but you also, and I know I say technique is the most important thing, which it is. Um, but he doesn't have the best technique in the run game, and he also doesn't have the 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 uh, strength to to win. Where I think you know Bradbury, his strength isn't great either, but he has such elite athleticism and quickness and hips that um you can make it work with him in an inside zone or an outside zone. You know, as a center, where a technician who doesn't have great strength and, and you know just decent speed or decent athleticism on the inside is not necessarily going to beat uh, be able to beat guys who are you know three hundred ten, three hundred twenty, three hundred thirty, forty pounds. You know, so. I just don't see that fit for him, um, so I disagree on you know with many draft analysts there. I rather just play him at tackle, which I know a lot of people agree with that as well. Um, but there are some who just you know pro ball guard. I don't I don't I don't know where they're getting that from, but you know teach their own.
1: Joe, you rated four pass catchers on your list here, so let's go through them. Three of them are wide receivers, and one of them is a tight end. The wide receivers are Nikhil Harry, as well as Hakeem Butler and DK Metcalf. The tight end is TJ Hawkinson, who I really like. I like all four of these guys, but I really like Hawkinson a lot. Talk to me about what you found looking at their film.
4: Yeah, so again, to give the order on the board, like you said, it's like I didn't do Murray, I didn't do Hogginson, I didn't do Wilkins, I didn't do you know, Jeffrey Simmons, some guys that people consider to be like top 20 players. I just did, you know, from looking at the Jets' needs and the positions that I wanted to, to do, and, you know, not necessarily what I wanted to do, but the guys who I thought when I started doing this like, would be like the top 20 guys at positions of need, et cetera, um, you know, and, and just overall good players. The like Jets don't need a defensive tackle, apparently, so which I, I shouldn't have done Quentin Williams either. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> just in terms of the board, uh, Hawkinson's at number six. I have a Butler above DK Metcalf. Uh, Butler is 10. Uh, Metcalf is 11. And then I have Nikhil Harry at uh, number 18. So starting off in order again, we'll start off with the tight end. Um, who is basically, he, he's, he's another guy who I think is a super safe type prospect. Like Bosa's is really safe. Quinn is really safe. Um, you know, Hawkinson's safe. And I think Brad is super, super safe. And those are probably the four safest guys. Um, in the draft, and you know, on the top of mind, at least the guys that I did. And you see Hogginson, you see how smooth he is. You see how clean he is out of breaks where he, he really limits false steps at the top of his routes. He is good at getting off of press. You see the top end speed, which is not elite, but it's definitely very good. Um, you see the fact that he ran a ton of different routes at Iowa. They didn't just use him up the seam or on, you know, hitches or curls or screens or whatever. He ran a bunch of different things. Um, he's a guy who is versatile because of his smarts and his athletic ability where he could play H back. He could play in line. He could play Y flex. He could play X. Uh, he could play Z. You probably play a little bit in the slot, even if you wanted to, um, which he's not going to do, you know, consistently, but you know, a time or two a game, I could, I could see it. A uh, guy who has great hands, um and the and pass blocking and run blocking he really you know is, is a good technician. Um, at times, uh, um, I think his run blocking is a little bit like I'm a little bit lower on it than some people are, but we'll get into that. Um, but overall, I, I still think it's pretty good. Um, where he works to reset his hands and and his leverage in both the run game and the pass game. Uh, you see the ability to make shortcuts cuts. Like I said, you see the ability for yaks So he's a super, he's a safe guy. Listen. You take any really tight end who has really good hips, good understanding of coverage and how to beat coverage, whether it be press or off man, uh, is sharp in his cuts and has really good you know ability to, to run the ball off the catch and has good hands. Um, that's a player you're going to want to draft. Just just simply like just simply uh, simplistically like looking at his traits. Um, he has he possesses some more. Um, in terms of like his IQ and his lateral quickness and smooth working through traffic and his routes and getting his hips out of breaks and things like that. Um, when to look back to the ball, all these things that I noted, but just in terms of way to some simple, like, okay, you know, speed, ability to cut IQ uh, knows how to beat coverage and a yak guy. Like that's something you're going to want to draft, um, you know, in general. And then you, you put that on top of a guy who is capable in the run game and can play so many different positions. That's why he's so, um, you know, high on my board and, and being the number uh, six overall player for me. And and people who gotta understand too, like, and I, we just talked about this before the draft or before we started uh, recording, Scott, it's like, there's a difference between big board and like big board of players. I would want the, the Jets to draft because would I want the Jets to draft TJ Hawkinson, you know, over Ed Oliver or over Brian Burns or even Jonah Williams. No, probably not. But this is more of like a big board of like, how good are you? How high do I see your ceiling versus how, 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 uh, Low do I see your floor, um, you know, and, and basically how good you are at your position. It's not exactly, this is who I would pick first, second, third, fourth, you know, it's not like these guys are all available by the pick of any of them, if you know what I mean. So, um, Hawkins is a really safe guy. Now in terms of like the weaknesses that I see, I, I think with his, with his, in the run game, uh, you can see him take some bad angles into the, into the, uh, you know, second level. And I think he's a little bit too aggressive when he should be a little bit more, uh, he should break down a little bit earlier and, and keep his hips square in the second level, um, I think his size is not fantastic. I think he has a little bit, I think he's a frame to, to add um, some muscle to, to his frame. He's super like length, like lanky. He looks like he's almost not as, he doesn't weigh as much as he does. So I think he could, he could add some more weight to that frame to bulk up a little bit, to be able to play a little better in the run game and have a little bit more strength because his strength is good in the run game um, for the most part, but he could definitely improve. And like I said, some of the technical aspects in terms of uh, the, the angles that he takes, um, you know, in, into the second level, uh, the the fact that he comes in high in the second level too. Where, like I said, I want to see him break down a little bit more, have a good base, swear guys up. Instead, he kind of comes in high, and he's going to shoot for where you are. So he's too aggressive. Where you know, let the let the guy come into you. You don't always have to blow a guy. You know, um, you know, over on on a, on a run block. So he has to learn some of, some of those things. Uh, with the wider base, etc. Um, he leans a little bit too much from his waist, which I talked about a little bit with Toronto Williams as well. Um, but with a pass game, like I think he's super clean. Now, is he like elite and anywhere? No, but I think he's really, really good in everywhere. If that makes sense, like does he have elite speed? No, but he's super good. He has really good speed. Does he have elite burst? Um, no, but it's really good. Is he is does he have elite frame and and ability to catch us out of his frame? No, but it's still really, really good. So he's just a really, really safe guy. Um, and I like safe guys, and that's why he's my uh, number six. So.
1: Joe I've maintained for a while that if the Jets trade down a little bit one of the top targets on my list would be TJ Hawkinson who you just mentioned for the reasons that you mentioned because while he's not necessarily Rob Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey or somebody like that I think he could be a real nice weapon and provide an excellent all-around game and somebody that could create mismatches in the Adam Gase offense you agree with that right?
4: Um, two external, we might be a little bit different here. And it depends really on how Gates adjusts his scheme to who he's playing with. But the only reason for me, not like, I I like Hawkinson a lot, but in terms of the Jets drafting him, you know, like I said, I want guys like Oliver or Burns, um, you know, maybe not one of the corners. I'm not really high on one of the corners, but depends really who's there. You obviously know that. But, um, the only issue with, I see with Hawkinson is, um, you're gonna have to run a lot of twelve personnel, which Gates did not do at all in Miami. And from a lot of his trends throughout his career and his coaching career, he runs a lot of eleven personnel. And it's always good to have two two like great tight ends. But the thing with the Jets is I don't really know exactly where he like I, I, you can fit him. You can definitely fit two tight end sets. But then who are you taking out of the game? Because you have two tight ends, you know, in the game. You're you're in twelve. You're in a uh, twelve personnel instead of eleven. That means one of the receivers has to come off the field. So you know you're gonna put in Hawkinson. At the same time, if you're putting in Hawkinson, then you're you're losing a Robbie Anderson, Crowell, or a newton So, like, it's kind of like a give and a take a little bit where you're adding a great talent, but you're also taking away a pretty good talent to get him on the field. Um, so that's a little bit my dilemma with that, plus the fact that Adam Gates likes to run a lot of you know, gun sets, 11 personnel, but everybody's split out wide. So uh, Does he necessarily fit in this offense when you already have Herndon? Because you're not going to take Herndon off the field um, to put in Hawkinson, unless you're just going to put Herndon on the back burner now. So. I don't necessarily know where he fits in the offense to take him so high where, like, a, a position of, you know, like like I said, uh, Ed Oliver or, you know, if you want to argue one of the corners over him, I, I can understand it because those are positions where you need a starter. Um, you know, at, at a D-tackle, you know, McClendon's good, but you can fit in Oliver, obviously. You know, you can fit in Greedy Williams or uh, Byron Murphy or even even if you don't like them, but a guy like a Montez Sweat or Clayton Farrell. So uh, I really, really like the player. He's my number six on my board, but he's a little bit lower on the positions I would draft just because I don't necessarily see the place that where he would fit in um, correctly, like I said, without taking, um, you know, playing from away from another one of the Jets, uh, you know, very versatile and, and pretty deep uh, weapons group that they have now, so.
1: I should clarify, I meant if they were to trade down toward the end of the top 10 or outside of the top 10. It's not something I would do if, say, they traded down with the Giants or anything like that. But I think that in terms of a guy that could be a long-term piece, he would be an interesting thought if they were to move down quite a bit. But there are three other pass catchers on this list that could also be legitimate options for the Jets if they were to trade down. Probably outside the top ten, although it's possible that one or two of these guys could get some top ten consideration. I'm talking about Nkeel Harry, DK Metcalf, and Hakeem Butler. What'd you see when you watch their film?
4: Yeah, I liked Butler a lot more than I than I thought I would, and like I said, he's he's one spot above DK Metcalf because I think he offers a lot more positional versatility where I've seen him play in the slot. I've seen him play Z. I've seen him play X where I, I think a guy like DK Metcalf is pretty much as your X. He's going to run curls. He's going to run slants. He's going to run goes. Um, and that's pretty much it. So I think if you have a really good corner, you can shut him down where, listen, like, yeah, he has great top end speed, he has great strength, but I think he's, he needs a lot more nuance in his routes where, yeah, he can box you out and do all these great things. But be like, oh, look at, look at, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. If you think DeAndre Hopkins just wins with, with overall size and speed and strength, which is a part of it, um, but the guy has fantastic technique. He knows when to do stretch releases, he knows how to jab you and, and head fake inside and then get the outside or the inside and stack you. He knows how to box out, he knows how to do late hands, he knows how to use the sideline and use that space on, uh, on on fades and he knows all these things. He knows how to push off the top of the rest. He's a really, really good guy where I think uh a guy dk metcalf is lacking in that area where metcalf is a guy who you know listen he has really violent hands at the line of scrimmage and he has actually some really good moves to get off of press but you start to see him struggle a lot more when you when your guys are in soft press or they're an off man whether you know when they're in soft shoot press whether you know like i said they're not going to shoot their hands immediately and they're going to you know shuffle with you then shoot their hands instead of like jump jamming uh you you know Metcalf, which is when you're gonna see his hands really come into play and his strength come into play, but he doesn't understand, you know, how to attack blind spots. I think he takes uh, too wide of stems where you see you'll see a guy bail, you know, see Metcalf break like two, three yards outwards first before breaking up field, which is completely necessary. Um, when a guy bails, you just want to attack his blind spot and just run right at his near hip, basically. Um, where Metcalf takes a lot of unnecessary moves and you see him sometimes on the top of his of his routes. Where he's just taking steps that are just completely necessary when a guys in off coverage. So I think he's a lot of work work from from technique wise, um, or from from a technical standpoint. Now, you know, I think he's going to be solid uh, because you know he can he'll he'll win on vertical routes. He'll win on slants because of how big he is. Um, but I think he's pretty limited in that way, at least of, as of right now. So a good player balance. His his uh, I don't know his ceiling is he's a, he's on a polarizing player too where. I think his ceiling is pretty high if he develops, but I also see him being a player who's a little bit more like shut down because he needs to develop technically, um, at least in my mind. So I think the combine like really shrouded the boards. People are talking about, like, oh, well, maybe the Jets take him at three or maybe the Raiders take him at four. Now he's kind of fallen back into like 10-15. I think his technique is just not necessarily that good. Um, but like I said, I think he's 11 on my board, like I just said before. And uh, Hakeem Butler is actually over him because of the uh, positional versatility he offers. And he's also a guy who is uh, really, really physical and he has physical capabilities. And I think he needs to learn how to use his physicality, especially at the top of his routes. But um, there's some times where he could just clearly, you know, uh, push off and, and, you know, lean into you. Where a lot of guys at the top of their routes, if you watch any really good route runner, you know, at the top of their route, they're going to lean their body into you. Um, so your momentum's pushing you, you know, one way, and they're going to break hard and, you know, inside. And then you're, you're just, you basically got pushed off, but it's not with hands, it's with your upper body because you're leaning into them. Um, so they have to run while absorbing that contact and then try to break after absorbing that contact and that burst. It's just, it's really hard. So when you know how to use your physicality at the top of routes, so whether it be with your body or even with your hands or you're using push buys or whatever it may be, um, that's something that he needs to, to learn how to use more, but he has the capability. I think his, his press releases are not as good as DK Metcalf, but he does possess it where there's times where, you know, he'll, he'll chop or he'll swim or he'll wipe a guy and it'll look really good. And there's also times where he lets guys get into his chest, which you don't necessarily want to see for a guy who's 6'6", and whose arms look like you know they almost reach the floor. Um, so he's a super interesting guy. Like I said, with that stre- with that size, with that strength, with that um, arm length, even with his top end speed too. Uh, for a guy as big as he is, is is pretty interesting. I know he ran pretty well at the combine. I heard exactly what his numbers were, but they were a little bit higher than some people expected. Um. So he's interesting in that way. Uh, he has to work on drops where he has a frustrating amount of easy drops where he's either just lack of concentration, lack of lack of technique. Wh- you know, knowing whether to catch it um, underhand or overhand, um, knowing you know when to aggressively attack the ball. Like there's some things he has to work on with catching the ball. But then there's also times where he'll make a ridiculous catch uh, with his massive hands and his, and his wingspan. We can catch balls outside of his frame that are highlight plays, but then he has an easy drop on a curl. So it's a little bit frustrating with that. Uh, but he is one of the most impressive things I did not know about him. If you watch him in the run game, uh, and I like players who play hard, he is a absolute beast um, in the in the run game. Which I know people don't want to hear about, but it, it just speaks to me about mentality. So he'll block a guy ten yards down the field, and if you talk about with with him in the ball in his hands, I, I think he's severely rated in that way. Under then that way too, he's not like super athletic where he's going to be able to cut. Which by the way, in terms of his athleticism and the cuts at to the top of his breaks. People look at him, and I feel like they want him to cut like an Adam Humphreys or a Jameson Crowder, but then they fail to realize that his legs are much longer. So for you to cut with that big of legs is a lot more difficult than a guy who's 5'8", who has really short strides um, and less weight into their brakes. It's, it's like trying to stop a, a you know a Toyota Camry versus trying to stop an 18-wheeler. It's a little bit different. So you, you have to you have to understand their, um, their route running and capability for their size. Because a guy like um like butler if he's able to use that strength at the top of his brakes and he doesn't have to cut as fast as a guy like jamison Crowder, who can't use his strength at the top of his brakes because you know he's a smaller type guy so it's all it's all um relative to to their size so i think he's actually pretty solid in, in his route running in terms of like being able to get out of breaks. and i think he's more technically refined in terms of like nuances of route running than a guy like metcalf where like i said at the top of the brakes he needs routes but um, he can get off the press they to be a little more consistently, but he knows how to tackle leverage. He knows how to use a sideline on fades. He knows how to show late hands. Um, he can box out guys because of his size. So uh, interesting in that way. And then in the run game uh, overall, just the entire run game, uh, blocking guys, he's fantastic. And then uh, with the ball, with, with getting guarded after the catch, he's not a guy who's going to juke you. But if you're not coming and you're not committing to that tackle, he's going to truck you. It is so, It is really, really fun to watch him. Uh, just truck over guys. And frequently, I would say more times than not, he had like three or four guys trying to bring him down because he runs so hard, which is a really, a really good thing to see in his game. So um, if you're one on one with him with a safety or a corner, uh, have fun trying to bring him down, even at the NFL level. He's just so physically dominant in that way. So I really like to see that. Um, where a guy like Metcalf is, he's he's really physical in the open field too, but I did not I did not see the, the killer like instinct dog that a guy like Hakeem Butler had. So I actually had a Butler one spot above him because of the um, physical capabilities. Like I said, he's taller than than, Met, uh, than Metcalf. I think he's he's a little bit more aggressive than Metcalf, where Metcalf has a speed and some of the uh, some of the agility overall that Butler does not have. But I think Butler's a better route runner. Um, throughout his route, not, not in the press, but it's, you can argue, you know, one or the other, but like I said, I I'd bothered over him. And then looking at the last guy, um, other receivers, looking at Nikhil Harry, I think he's a guy who's like, he's, he's an interesting, um, guy who I think, you know, late first, maybe in the mid, mid twenties, the guy who you work is worth taking a shot on. I would like to watch other receivers too. I just didn't have the time. Like I like to watch, you know, Hollywood Brown, and, you know, AJ Brown and all these other different guys that people are talking about to compare uh, Nikhil Harry to them to see my rankings. But Nikhil Harry was the one I ended up doing uh, to be, just by people and, you know, hearing what they say about these guys. And, you know, he has some good size. He has some good length as well. Um, I think he for um, his size also has some speed in and out of his breaks. I think he has some strong hands uh, and he he's a player in the class who makes some of the most ridiculous catches. He, he is the highlight type catch guy. Uh, you know where he has a large catch radius. He's really able to contort his body, in, in, in the middle of being in the air, uh, traps the ball well. You know, in, in traffic, he's able to catch balls with one hand. A really, really interesting guy, in that type of where he's like a circus type catcher. But he doesn't have like necessary you know, lateral agility and, and quickness out of his brakes and explosion and top-end speed and burst. And because of that lack of burst and acceleration off the line, you see him get stuck, um, you know, he, he gets stuck by corners who are aggressive and, and uh, technically sound on the line of scrimmage where he can't really get off of it. Uh, there's some times where he has to work on, you know, high-pointing and attacking the ball where, like, he'll make a couple circus catches and then a couple times he doesn't attack the ball and he'll let the corner – um, you know work through his hips and get a, get a deflection i think he's a little bit tight in some of those ways so he's a guy who i think is a little bit limited as an athlete like overall athleticism the speed and, and the fluidity that he has um, but i think he's a decent route runner uh, he's a possession type guy um, for sure he's gonna make some circus catches so uh, he fell at i say number number 18 on my board or, um, yeah number 18 so um mid mid first round pick maybe you know end of the first round i think that's more where he goes but he's definitely an interesting guy too or if you're looking for a possession receiver, I, I think he's a, he would be a good fit.
1: Joe, let's wrap up with a position that the Jets definitely need an upgrade at. I'm not sure that they're necessarily going to get a day one starter in this draft unless they trade down. And if they do trade down, two of their targets are potential day one starters if they go the cornerback route. Byron Murphy from Washington and, of course, Greedy Williams. Tell me a little bit about Byron Murphy and Greedy Williams and what you saw from them on tape.
4: Yeah, and going back to the board, um, I have Greedy Williams at number 13, and then I have Murphy at, at 17 um, overall. And, you know, watching both of those guys and talking about Greedy first, he is higher on my board. Uh, he has necessary length. He's pretty fluid. I think he has solid top-end speed. I think he has some. I think he has pretty good hips, acceleration. Uh, his hands are pretty accurate in, in his punches. I think he's laterally quick. Um, I think he's good at pressing, and you saw that LSU he pressed a little bit. I think he's 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 done. He has a versatility where he could play, you know, in zone. He could play in press. I've seen him play in, in off man. I've seen him play in soft shoe. I've seen him play in press bail. Um, so there's definitely, you know, the versatility that you're looking for in this player. You see him take his read steps. When he's an off man, which is another good thing. You know, he gets his hands on the receivers. He's a good feel for routes. You know, he has a good t step. He has a good break on the ball. Um, he knows how to use his hands in press. You know, and and all of those things but he also has some technical work. Like there's especially corners and especially watching a show and doing a show with Marcus Coleman. You know, corners are um, <laughs> one thing I feel really comfortable. It's like I watch technique a lot and there's there's way too many guys who have the uh, the lack of aggressiveness in their hands and open their hips way, way too early where um, line up pretty much if you're pressing. Even sh- soft or aggressive um, punches, there's two guys, there's too many guys with uh, aggressive punches who punch both arms, but you punch both arms and locks your hips, um, which you never want to happen because so if you miss, you're pretty much screwed right there. And if you're not going to aggressively jam, um, you like I said with that with that soft shoe, you still want to get your hands on. But a lot of guys, even in their soft shoe, when they're backpedaling, they're shuffling, they're throwing their hands like while they're leaning backwards. So there's what's the point of throwing hands in their weak hands? You still even soft shoe want to shoot aggressive hands just after a couple of lateral shuffles. And it always impress unless you're doing like a press bail, um, you know, type scheme. You always want to move laterally. If you, if your first step is to open your hips or to or to angle off. Um, you're going to lose the NFL more times than not. You always want to, you know, challenge that stem, challenge the release, get a shuffle, at least one shuffle, um, hopefully two or maybe even three in um, on the line of scrimmage. So, you know, Greedy could improve there, but uh, overall for, like, a college-type player who I think um, has a capability to improve that because I saw it some in college. Um, But the biggest problems with him come with his mentality where like I said, he has the fluid hips, he can press, you do all this stuff. All the stuff I just talked about not to name it all again because, you know, that would be stupid. But um, you see him you you see him and he's soft in the run game. His competitive toughness is something that I do not like. Um, he gives up on some plays. Uh, in terms of like tackling, he's not a guy who's gonna take you head on. He's a little bit of like a he's like an ankle biter type tackler. So he's just a guy who has all the physical capabilities, and I think if he consistently showed those physical capabilities, I think he would be a top ten pick. But like I said, the competitive toughness, giving up on plays, you know, not wanting to get involved, you know, in the run game are things that are you know big questions. And obviously, there's some things that I wrote down too that are like negatives. Like that's one of my only negatives on him. I wrote down like you know, slow to process, uh, you know, many routes in zone. So he's in zone coverage. And there's many. There's a there's a three route combination on his side. He's a little bit slow to process that. Or you know, the the press reps he doesn't get his hands on. He doesn't laterally shuffle like I talked about. Or you know, speed are a little inactive at. Um, you know, at his first phase of press, which is in that, you know, like I said, where, where you're trying to shuffle and things like that. And he needs stronger punch at the top of his routes and squeezing guys. So, like there's, there's questions about him, which every every prospect is going to have coming out or not going to have all the same. But uh, the biggest concern with him is that is that toughness, is that competitiveness. So, uh, like I said, if that wasn't there, I think he would be easily a top 15 pick at minimum. I could see him being a top 10 pick. Um, but those are big questions because, you know, if, if he's going to be soft in college, what is he going to be like when he's 27, 28, 29, 30 years old? Um, and there's been some rumors, OK, well, he was trying to conserve his body for the NFL. Is that a guy that you necessarily want? I'm not too sure. That's that's the bent, depending on the team. But, you know, me, I like guys who play ball to the wall every single snap. So um, that's why he fell a little bit lower for me um, being, you know, where he is on my board at uh, number Number fourteen, so or number thirteen. Sorry, uh, his teammate uh, Bush is number fourteen behind him, and then Byron Murphy is a guy who is, I think, very very raw. Uh, but you, he's a guy with his athletic, the athleticism um, that you look at and it's super interesting. And he actually didn't test as well as people thought he would. I remember hearing some um, of, of his numbers, and I thought he would test a little bit better. But on film, at least, and he's a shorter type guy. He might project as like a slot, more of like a slot type corner in the NFL. Um, but you know look at the strength, you see the, the quickness, you see the fluid hips, you see the change of direction speed. Uh, his explosion, his stop start is really, really good. His lateral movement is awesome. Um, you see the acceleration, the top end speed, all that stuff is, is good and there's some, there's some technical things that are that are pretty good. Uh, the, the stride length that he has in you know, while playing in, in phase in and, and, uh, guarding routes allows for a quick change of direction. You see the fact that when he does press, which is very rare, um he keeps his hips square uh, you see the patience at the line of scrimmage sometimes you see the the foot quickness and you know the ability to match vertically all this stuff um the balance the the breaks the hand-eye coordination the the fact that he plays the ball pretty well i think um so he has some good things and, and there was some times like I, i'm not thinking only ju- he, he only pressed bail but it was a lot of times but you did see you know jumps jams you saw kick steps you saw uh, hinges, you saw one-hand jams, you saw soft, soft shoes, you you saw all that. Um, you saw the ability to mirror, you saw a bunch of things. And I think him playing the ball in the air is actually a really, really good thing too. I think he's going to get some interceptions because of that, the ability to play the ball and, and the speed um, and just overall like, change of direction and the hip fluidity to, to, to recover. I think he's going to get some interceptions in the NFL. I think he's uh, more of a zone-type corner, a slot guy, just because of his uh, the lack of size that he has, and he's but also one of his strengths is the fact that he's super, super aggressive, which I like. And um, he's very willing to just he just balls out, he plays really hard in the run game, uh, never gives up on a play. So that's something you definitely like to see. When you talk about weaknesses, I think he's pretty raw. I think his length and his overall size, he's like 180, 185, uh, like a 511 type corner, I, I believe, or 510. Um, so he's aggressive in the run game, but he'll be able to make tackles on 220-pound running backs. I'm not too sure. Um, and you're looking at that overall size and strength. You know He's good at positioning his body and his hips while mirroring and, and running in phase of wide receivers. But th- is he going to have necessary strength to hold up with guys who are going to be smart at the top of their routes and use their hands and, and use that lean? I'm not too sure. Uh, always, people always need technique work and press, which I marked down for him um, as well, where he opens his hips up you know, pretty early. Um, but there was times where I said like, his strength was like his ability to keep his hips square when he wants to keep his hips square. But then there's too often where he just he's opening up immediately where his first step is literally his left foot or his right foot is going automatically backwards, opening up your hips completely to the sideline, which uh, is, is a really bad thing to have, you know, in coverage unless you're hinging or press bailing, which he did a lot. Um, but then there were some times where he's supposed to soft, soft shoe or press and he just didn't do it. Um, you see him play on his heels sometimes. So. You know, overall, um, for him, like a quick wrap-up is really, really, expe- you know, exceptional athlete um, in terms of like change of direction, quickness, top-end speed. Uh, but his size and his length are going to hurt him, and he needs technique work. So he's a big. I think he's a big boomer bust type guy as well. So.
1: And there you have it, the 17 out of 20 prospects that we didn't cover. Of course, we have separate shows for Nick Bosa, Quinnen Williams, and Josh Allen that you can find in our archives. But these are the 17 other players that Joe Blewett extensively looked at on video. And if you want to take a look at his breakdowns of them, you can go ahead and find them on our YouTube channel and on his social media. And Joe, for those that don't know how to access those things, why don't you go ahead and let him know? Must be their first episode. <laughs>
4: um, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm gonna post all these things. So, like I said, you don't have to just take my word for it. I, I quite literally show it and explain it all on film, whether it be on YouTube. Or if you don't want to watch a YouTube show or listen to the podcast, you can just follow me on Twitter. Like I said, junior B31, and I break it down for you there. Um, so that's where to catch me on Twitter. On YouTube, it's just you just type and turn on the dress search bar, and you'll you'll see it. You'll see us right there with a green logo. And then for the podcast app, it's TOJ space film space room, where a lot of these guys that I'm talking about um, with you, I've been doing, you know, anywhere from 45 minutes to about an hour and 15 minute reviews of them just talking about myself and showing their stuff on film. And even if you don't want to watch on YouTube, you can just listen to it um, as well. So that's where you should catch me. And, you know, hopefully if you want to learn about these prospects, I recommend you do, even if you already know, you know, at least uh, we can have some discussion. It's always fun. Unless it's the Quinn and Williams stuff, which I just I, <laughs> I cannot I can I can just not handle anymore. I'm just I'm done. That's why I like did this recently, Sky, where you know where I just basically made a overall statement about Quinn and Williams pinned it to my page, and I said I'm not responding to anything of just take edge, like you know. So other than that, we can talk about pretty much anything. <laughs>
1: Go ahead and follow Joe on Twitter. Read his pinned tweet before you tweet at him so that you know exactly what to avoid. Make sure you watch his breakdowns at Turn On The Jets TV on YouTube. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn On The Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.